Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, and we will be turning to chapter 22, and uh, we wrapped it up at uh, the last verse of chapter 21 last week, and we're going to be looking at 14 verses together today, and uh, uh, this is really a challenging passage. Uh, I'm just praying that God would uh, help me to do justice to opening this up and just letting the Word speak to us. You know, some of the parables that the Lord gives to us are hard to figure out. Uh, some of them take some study, but this one is very obvious, and uh, I'm so thrilled that it's obvious, but I hope it's not so obvious that we miss the importance of it. This is really very, very important, and particularly for us today, uh, in the time that we're living in right now, this is a great passage for us to be in. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 22. Uh, you follow along in your Bibles, then we'll pray and ask God to help us understand and apply and uh, unpack it together. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and right now I'd have you underline that, those words, the kingdom of heaven is like, because that begs the question, well, it's like what? What's the kingdom of heaven like? And that's what we're going to be looking at. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he set out his servants to call on those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And th th they uh, made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants. They treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. And so those servants went out into the highways. They gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, um, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, uh, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into utter darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. God, right now we remind ourselves that this is your word, and we remind ourselves that you've also provided us a tutor, uh, the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and will help us understand. And so, Lord, uh, help us understand that which otherwise we would not be able to. Give us ears to hear, minds that can comprehend, a heart that can be moved. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help me this morning, uh, just help me to think. Help me to be faithful to your word and not to add to it or to take away from it. We know that your word 
is powerful, and you gave it to us in order to help us to know how to do what's right and how to get right with you and how to correct what's wrong in our lives. Every jot and tittle of the Word of God we recognize to be important to us this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were listening as I read, you recognize that this is a parable, and it's a parable where the Lord is using the occasion of a wedding in order to talk about His point. Uh, This happens to be the third parable that the Lord has chosen to share with the, especially with the leaders of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember, they were obnoxious. Uh, They came to the Lord and they said, Lord, um, who gives you this authority? Who gives you this? And you talk about obnoxious to say to Jesus that. And so Jesus is responding and he's answering their question And he's using three parables to do it. What's unique here is that his his immediate audience, and I say immediate because we are also the audience, but his immediate audience understood exactly what he was saying. They understood what he meant when he was referring to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, uh, we don't have it up on the wall behind me, but if you have your Bibles on your lap, look at verse 43 of chapter 21. The Lord said, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And so if you've been here over the last few weeks, you remember that what's happening is that after many, many, many years, the Lord has been during that time extremely patient and He has repeated the same message over and over and over again to the Israelites. He's repeated it through the mouth of prophets. The prophets have come to the Jews and have said, listen, you are a chosen people, not because you're better, not because you're more righteous, but you're going to be exhibit A. And God chooses you, and through the way you dress, through the diet that you eat, through the worship that you go through, through the ceremonies that you adhere to, uh, the whole world is going to be watching you. And the world is going to understand what I'm all about. And more importantly, the world, well, I don't know if more importantly, but the world also is going to understand that someday there will be a Messiah who will come. And when He comes, He will be the one that will be providing for you a right relationship with me. He'll come and He can forgive you of your sin. He can come and He can die on a cross to pay the price for your sin. And so this message was repeated over and over and over by prophets. Throughout time, what happened was the nation of Israel, particularly the religious leaders, they didn't like the message. They decided that they were important. I mean, they were the chosen ones. They were important and that people needed to look up to them and respect them and honor them. And and so, uh, and also, they were protecting their jobs, they were protecting their income, they were protecting their prestige. And so, they didn't accept the message that came over and over and over again to them from the prophets. In fact, we know from the Word of God that they got so mad at the prophets that they killed them. They, uh, one by one, they destroyed the prophets. 
And now we come here and they're trying to destroy Jesus. And they eventually will. But they won't take his life. He gives his life. But what they do, again, is they have the audacity to say, now who gave you this authority? And what he does in this uh, verse here in chapter 21, and this is very strong, he says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, you, the Israelites, you, the nation of Israel, you, and it's going to be given to somebody else. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. So he gives two parables, three parables. The first two parables that we've looked at the last couple of Sundays were a little bit more difficult to understand. But as I already mentioned, this one is so clear. It is so concise. The Lord uses a wedding to use as his illustration. Now, a wedding uh, at this time in the area of Palestine was a big deal. Uh, if you were uh, just a, a normal family that was going to have a wedding, uh, that wedding might last for a week. I mean, it was a big deal, a huge celebration. Uh, if you were prominent, if you were very wealthy, if you had a prominent government position, a position in leadership, the wedding might go on for weeks, many weeks. I mean, it was a really, really big deal. And I just want to say this, that uh, uh, just for the fun of it, that aren't weddings a big deal? They are a big deal. I love weddings. How many of you love weddings? Yeah. I'm not going to ask any of you guys how many of you didn't like your wedding. But how many of you love weddings? They're wonderful. Let, let me tell you about a couple of weddings that come to my mind. One was, some of you know, um, how many of you know Kendall Hayden? Yeah. Kendall Hayden got married. About 15 months ago, he got married. And Kendall asked if he could get married here in, in our church. And I said, you bet. And so I had the joy of being a part of that wedding. And Sam Pierce also was one of the pastors. And uh, Jason Hampton was one of, there were three, he chose three pastors. And so we, we had this wonderful, and the place was packed. And, I, and let me tell you what happened, was when he set the date and he told me that he was going to get married, and, and he's just the most likable guy, isn't he? I mean, everybody loves Kendall. And so um, uh, when he told me he was going to get married, and I met with Kendall and Lisa, and they told me the date and everything, uh, from that point on, I began to tell people. And so when I was at Panera, I would say, hey, by the way, uh, Andrea, uh, Kendall Hayden's getting married. And everybody that I talked to said, you've got to be kidding. Kendall's getting married? When? And I'd tell them when, and then they would say, I'm clearing my calendar. I will be there. I will be there. And that just happened over and over and over again. It was a big deal. And it was so cool. Those that, you, I mean, Eric, you played the guitar, and, and every time you played the guitar for Kendall, it was such a, a treat because he would write the music, and, never, and you never were given the music, but you could play the accompaniment for him. Yeah, but music, well, you know, you could just do that, right? Yeah, that was good. And so in that wedding, uh, Kendall sang to his bride as he came down the aisle, or maybe when he's just up front. But when she came down the aisle, she sang to Kendall. So bride and groom, you know, that's what they did. 
Now, I'm going to look to the back of the church there because Jennifer and Stephen, uh, you've got a wedding coming up, and um, make sure that Parker and Sophie are ready to sing to each other, all right? We've got that happening. But anyway, so they sang to each other. It was the most spectacular thing. Afterwards, they planted a tree out here, next, and that tree's still growing up. Every other tree is dying. That tree is, I mean, it is out. And Kendall himself went out there in his tuxedo, and he dug the hole, and he planted that tree. And, and uh, I mean, it was the wedding of a... Uh, Jesse, you were here, weren't you? Was it cool? It was cool. That was great. It was rad. It was dope, bro. Okay. It was right up there. All right. It was the best thing in the world. Kendall's, well, then here's another wedding I'm going to tell you about. So a number of years ago, I'm at this wedding, and, and it's on Lake Sweetwater, and it's cool. And this couple, they met there as kids. Their parents had cabins, and so they met, and they got married, and they wanted to get married outside. And, of course, they picked a day when it was raining hard. But anyway, we're outside, and they get married. And when it's time for the, uh, for the groom to come and join the party, uh, he comes across the little lake on a pontoon boat. That's cool, isn't it? And then when it was time for her to come, she came on another pontoon boat, and she came, and then they got off, and they stood there in the rain, and, and here was this cool wedding, and I mean, it was cool. It was rad, and it was just precious. And so then, when the wedding is over, and you know how that, you know, and you they kiss the bride and all that, and everybody claps, and they, they go out, you know, and everybody's cheering, and amen, and everything. What happens, uh, the groom put on water skis, and she put on water skis, and she had this long train for her wedding gown, and they skied away. Is that cool? Don't you love weddings? Let me tell you about another wedding. Beautiful wedding, formal wedding. The groom said to me, he took me to the side, he said, hey, when it gets time where you say uh, you now can kiss the bride, he said, I don't want to shock you. But he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take her and I'm going to dip her. Great big, and give her a kiss. I said, hey, it's yours. You know, do it. That'd be fun. So we're in this beautiful church, and I think it's in Kentucky somewhere, in this beautiful auto, uh, sanctuary. And we get to that part in the service. You may kiss the bride now. And he takes her, and he dips her. And when he does, he throws her wedding dress on a candle, and we have, a, we have a fire. But the best part of it, and this was really great, was that the, all this is happening with her dress on fire, and I'm standing there, and, 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 the, and the mother of the bride is sitting up close here, and when this happens, she shoots down the aisle, and she's up there, and she's beating out the flames. And I don't even quite know what's going on. And I thought, Mom, it's okay. You know, he, he, he can kiss her. <laughs> I didn't know that she needed to have a fire extinguisher. I mean, this girl was on fire. She, nobody got hurt, okay? Now, afterwards, I know what you're going to do. You're, you're going to go to Kathleen, and you're going to say how much of that was true. Uh, can, can I stop for a minute? Do I have permission? Has all of this been true so far? Kathleen, where are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to marriage counseling. 
Then I had another wedding, and, and then in this wedding, you know, uh, there's a baptistry right up here. Whew, big old window, and the baptistry is behind there. And so I, I'm, I'm performing this wedding. And as I am, people out there are laughing. And of course, that's never comfortable for the guy that's, you know, officiating the wedding. You, know, you don't know what to do at that point. And um, so, so finally, I, they kept looking behind me. And I look back here, and the, uh, and the photographer is straddling the baptistry. <laughs> and he's taking pictures of everybody up in the baptistry. I thought that was really funny. Go ahead. And isn't that a funny story? One last, and then we're going to get to the Bible, okay? You want one more story? Okay, so I, I was invited to uh, take part in a wedding, and there were going to be three pastors. And so... Um, uh, I just and so they had the the, the wedding um, practice rehearsal, and I'm there with the other two. And, and the one guy is kind of the lead, and it's his church that the wedding is taking part in. And after we go through, you stand here and you stand there, and you do this and you read this. And we went through the whole practice. Then he looked out at me and he said, um, "Reverend Dalton, by the way, you should be calling me Doctor or Reverend or something." You're, your Highness, Your Holiness, I don't know. But anyway, he said, Reverend Dalton, he said, uh, uh, what color robe will you be wearing? Immediately, my mind went to my terry cloth bathrobe. <laughs> I said, I don't have a robe. He said, uh, ooh, we're in trouble. He said, because we're a robe church, a robe church. Yeah, I've been in a lot of churches. I had never until that day been in a robe church, but that was a robe church. And uh, afterwards, I'll tell you how that ended up. It was, uh, they finally loosened the regulations, and I was able to, in fact, uh, I wore a black suit and white shirt and tie, and the other pastor wore a black suit and a white shirt and tie, and the pastor that asked me the robe question, he had the robe. So anyway, and, um, but, you, you know, well, anyway, <laughs> weddings are so great, aren't they? They're wonderful. And in the day that we're looking at here, you know, around 30 A.D., weddings were a huge celebration. As I already mentioned, if a normal family might take a week to go through all the festivities, if it was an important family, that family would maybe take many weeks to go through the whole thing. And so when the Lord uses a parable about a wedding in order to talk to these guys who are giving him trouble and saying, who gave you authority? Uh, he's talking about something that they understood. Uh, he was talking about something that was extremely celebratory and important. Nothing bigger, nothing more important, and this is big. And what he really, if you remember from me reading the story, what we find here in this parable is that the king, the important person, the king, who here in the parable would be God, 
is planning a wonderful wedding for his son, who's Jesus. And he sends out servants ahead of time in order to invite the chosen ones, the ones that would be invited to come and to partake in this wonderful, wonderful celebratory event, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And he invites them to come, and, and they have plenty of time to get ready for it, and they don't act like they're very interested. Well, you talk about rude. You talk about an insult. But the Lord in his patience in this parable, what he does is he sends out more. You know, maybe that's like John the Baptist. You know, he sends out more prophets. And those prophets go out there and they tell the same story to the same group. And they get, not only do they say, we're not interested, they kill them. And we find that these people that ought to be using their exhibit a responsibility to tell the whole world about God, they don't have time to tell the world about God and about the Messiah. Uh, They just want to talk about themselves. And they want their own businesses. And they want their own livelihoods. And and so they, they go so far as to kill the second set of servants that go out and say, hey, uh, you heard back a while back that this wedding, you know, you, have a, you should have it on your calendar. You've been talking about it. You've been meeting people in Panera, and you've been saying, you'll never guess there's going to be this great wedding that's going to happen, the king's going to have for his son. And people would say, we're going to drop everything, and we're going to be there. And, and that's not what happening is happening. And in the second case, what's happening is they go so far as to kill the ministers. They kill the pastors. They kill the prophets. Wow. So that's the Lord explaining that verse back there in the previous chapter. Uh, You're going to be replaced. You're going to be replaced, and this wedding is going to happen. And the wedding hall is going to be full. It's going to be packed with people. But it's going to be packed with humble broken down, beat up, discouraged people who are not arrogant and full of religiosity. And they're going to pack the place, and it's going to be wonderful. You want to know who those people are? Look in the mirror today when you go home. It's you. Me. He says, I'm going to pack the place with people who are not arrogant. I'm going to pack the place with people who are not beating their chest and standing in a corner and praying loud so everybody thinks they're wonderful. I'm going to pack the place with people that don't want to come into the temple and bring coin in and make sure that everybody's watching as they take the coins and they pour carefully the coins down through this trumpet-looking container as it all goes down in there so that they can get credit for that. No, no, what he says is, go out into the highways. Go out into the byways. Go, go wherever you have to go. Go, go out there and find some people who, who will be uh, blown away with the fact that the king would invite them to this unbelievable experience. 
I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. In fact, I made a copy of it here. Let me just read it to you. I think this is so cool. He says, the persons who came to the wedding were more grateful than the first invited might have ever been to come. The richer sort had a good dinner every day. Those farmers could always kill a fat sheep, and those merchants could always buy a calf. Thank you for nothing, they would have said to the king if they had accepted his invitation. But these poor beggars that were picked up off the streets, they welcomed being invited. How glad they were. One of them said to the other, it's a long time since you and I sat down to such a joint as this. And the other answered, I can't hardly believe that I'm really here in this palace dining with a king. I feel like pinching myself. Well, yesterday, I begged all the day and only had two pence at night. Long live the king, say I, and blessings on the prince and his bride. Wow. Is that clear? Is that cool? Wow. You know, when I unpacked this passage, I, I got all upset because uh, I could stay here for months and preach on this. Uh, we, all of us could. We could read it and reread it and read it again and put ourselves into the place of those beggars and those out there who were, uh, they, they, they had no great credentials. Not the wise, not the noble, not the mighty, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? That all glory might go to him. And that's what the king does here. He says, I'm going to pack the place. But I'm not, but, but right now, for now, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk away from looking at Exhibit A being the nation of Israel. And now Jew and Gentile alike are going to be the ones that are going to be part of this kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is this spiritual kingdom that you and I and other believers are a part of. It's a spiritual kingdom where we say we do have a king, and, and, and our king has a constitution. And, and he taught us the constitution. We, we learned it when we look back in the book of Matthew, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it is the constitution of how people that live in my kingdom live. It's not a constitution that is a constitution like the world's. It's not a constitution like the one that, that Satan, who is the prince of this age, would adhere to. It's a whole different constitution. It's a constitution that says those that live within this invisible kingdom, they're blessed if they're bankrupt spiritually. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or they'll be part of this kingdom. And isn't that true? The greatest blessing in our life came when we got to a point that we said, man, I am bankrupt spiritually. I have nothing to bring to God except my sin. That's it. 
His constitution says that what we do is we love our enemies. His constitution says that uh, blessed are those that mourn. Mourn what? Mourn over their sin. That's the Beatitudes, the preamble to God's constitution to the kingdom of heaven. Go back and read. I mean, that's what we studied in the first part of the book of Matthew. So what's the Lord doing here? He says, I'm going to have a kingdom. I do have a kingdom. And the kingdom is made up not of arrogant people, but the first step of being able to be part of this kingdom is a humility of realizing you have nothing to bring to the table except your lostness, your sin. Well, the religious rulers, they, they knew what was happening here. They heard it. They, they weren't idiots. They knew exactly what was taking place. And you would love to think that all of them said, okay, okay, we now have it, and they'll fall on their knees. No way. That just instilled with them even greater anger to be able to take Jesus to the cross and to kill him. Wow. You know, when I said a few minutes ago that there's so many ways we could go here, as a pastor, I asked myself this question. I said, as we're trying to reach a community, as we're trying to reach people and invite them to be part of the kingdom, uh, are we just kind of part of the church shuffle? And we're going to get so excited when we meet this Christian who decided the music was too loud, and so maybe now they want to come to our church, the church shuffle. Are we guilty of looking for those Christians who say, I've been a Sunday school teacher, for, but listen, I just don't like what blah, 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 blah. And then Is that what we think we're called to, to go out there and somehow find the religious people? Or, or do we really realize that he says, go out into the highway and hedges and find the beat down, those that think they can never be forgiven, those that think that there's no way they could ever obey the Ten Commandments and, and please God, those who have made serious mistakes in their lives up to this point and say, it's too late. It's too late for me. It's too late. My heart's desire is to pack this room with people who thought it was too late. And you and I said, no, it isn't. Are you with me? That's our job. It's not too late. He says, I'm going, to f I'm going to have a big banquet. You know, there are so many similarities here. I think about this king, and here's another way we could go. This king, what he does is he doesn't go out and say to the guests now, you come, here, you're on part of the, the invitation list, but by the way, if you could please do this, send in $50 ahead of time to, to cover the cost. <laughs> I think Jennifer does have that idea, but I, no, no, I, she's not. 
He didn't say to the guests, hey, hey, divvy up and you pay your price. You pay your way. Uh Uh-uh. This king has an invitation list in the beginning, and he says, you're invited, and I'm going to pay for everything. You're invited to be part of the spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of heaven, and there is nothing you have to pay for. I'm going to give my best to cover the cost. His name is Jesus. And your role is humility and brokenness and realizing that you and I are invited to come to the kingdom of heaven, to the greatest marriage, to the greatest wedding, to the greatest ever. And it's still happening. You know, I think sometimes what we do as believers, even as we want to witness, is we say, well, what I'm going to do is I want to witness to people, so I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to go out and find people that already are showing a little bit of interest in the Lord, and then I'll get excited about them, and maybe I'll establish a Bible study with them, and and I'll share the gospel with them. Uh, I don't see that's what happens here. I see what the Lord does is He says, uh, this place is going to be filled. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look, uh, we're not, these people uh, up to this point, uh, they don't look like they have any interest at all. Now let me ask you this question. When you think about your relative, when you think about your coworker, when you think about that friend you have, okay, have you already uh, thrown them off and just said, well, they'll never get saved. They're useless. There's no way in the world that they would ever come to faith in Christ. I want to find somebody that has a spark of interest, and then what I'll do is I'll come along and I'll fan the flame until finally they say, I want Jesus. It doesn't work that way. What happens is the Lord says, I have a slew of people out there, a multitude of people out there, and you think they will never get saved. Well, guess what? Just tell them about me, and my Holy Spirit will do the rest. Amen? Don't count them out. Wow. Well, these people, they knew what he was talking about. Let me close by reading again the passage. You follow and see what the parable is saying here. Chapter 22, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this, and it's like a wedding today where all the expenses are paid. It's like this, where some people aren't going to appreciate, but there's others that are going to be blown away. I never imagined, I got to pinch myself, I'm part of this? The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. He sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. That's our part, come. 
Come with your sin. Come to the Lord. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, forgiveness, and eternal life with me, a relationship with me, a new heart. Wow. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, one to his business, and the rest of these his servants treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Under the leadership of Titus, you remember that in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. The city got totally destroyed, got totally burned, and Titus made arrangements for every Jew to be thrown over the wall. 1,100,000 Jews were thrown over the wall. But the Lord said, but there's some others that are going to be appreciative. And we're going to, the gospel, they're going to come to the wedding. Well, that both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled. Look at verse number 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. I don't know how all of these guests that were out in the streets uh, were dressed properly. I don't know. You know, I, I know that this is dating me, but there was, there was a day when, you know, we would go, some of us, out to a very fancy restaurant. And when you would walk in, they would say, hey, you know, you need to wear a jacket. Jackets are required here. And if you didn't have a jacket, they'd go find a jacket and give you a jacket, and you'd wear the jacket. Now, the garment here the Lord's referring to is the robe of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so glad today, as I stand before you, that when the Lord looks at me, he sees me wrapped in the robe of the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I put it on when I place my faith in Christ. Now the Lord says there's one knucklehead. Is that in your translation? There's one knucklehead who's there and he hasn't put on the robe of his righteousness. He, he, he kind of thinks that uh, he's entitled. He, he's in part of the entitlement mentality. Yeah, I'm a beggar. Yeah, I'm poor. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't eat in places like this. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, but uh, no way, no way am I going to dress different. In fact, what I'm going to do is uh, I, I'm not coming in to take part in this wedding humbly. I come in and say, this is what you get, you better like it. I'm entitled to it. Wow. Wow. 
I gotta tell you a story it has nothing to do with this, okay? But let me, uh, uh, it's a funny story. I was listening to a pastor yesterday and uh, uh, he was talking about the fact that uh, there were years ago as they were sharing the gospel with people who were brought in from the streets, brought in from, you know, and there, there was a guy that came in and, and, and he sat down in the front row and he didn't have a shirt on. And so one of the elders came to the pastor and he said, wow, we, he said, um, did you see that guy that's sitting in the front row? Uh, he, he doesn't have a shirt on. And the pastor said, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, is he a guest or, or, or is he a church member? And he said, well, he's a guest. He says, well, then he can stay. If he's a member, I'll go get him a shirt. Now, you can spend all day trying to figure out what my lesson was there. It's not there. I just thought it was a funny story. And uh, dressed, it is a funny story, dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father looks at me, and when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin he doesn't see, what he sees is that I am dressed, covered in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Somebody might say to God, God, but don't you remember so many years ago when Ken did this? And here you're accepting him into the kingdom of heaven. God, don't you remember when he did this? And God's answer is, I don't. I don't remember. Isn't that good? I don't remember. Remember. 